0: Hi, all, and welcome to the Mindset Coach Academy. My name is Lindsay Wilson. Gosh, I'm so glad that you are here today. Let's talk about competing. I think one of, well, probably one of the two biggest things that I hear from coaches and parents and athletes is they want to compete better. Let's say the other one is to be more mentally tough. Well, let's say there's three things, confidence, mental toughness, performance. Those are the things that come up the most. So today I want to talk about performance. I want to talk about being able to compete. Now, what I have found a lot with coaches, and maybe you were a coach, maybe you're a parent, likely you competed at some level in your life. What I have found is that people that are good at competing sometimes suck at being able to teach how to compete, (laughs) right? Um, It's like, you know, Michael Jordan, Diana Taurasi may not be able to tell you what they do because maybe it comes a little more naturally to them. Um, so if it's been challenging for you to get others to learn how to compete, you are not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, most of us aren't taught how to teach this stuff. Really the only reason that I know any of this stuff is because someone taught it to me and I fumbled my way through it and I think some things came more naturally to me than others. I think, um... I think without having, a, a, you know, really learned mental training sort of in an, an official way with mentors, I probably would have been one of those people that's like, yeah, I just kind of figured it out as I went along, but I have no idea how to teach it. I think that's probably a more natural, uh, uh, common experience in sports. So again, if you struggled with kind of getting that out of your athletes and the frustration that comes from that, like, why can't they just figure out how to compete? Um, you aren't alone. And I'm going to talk about some ways today, some really simple ways to help you implement some things that really just work, flat out work. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times with mental training, what we want can feel so either obvious, but also sort of ambiguous that it's hard to know, you know, the equation to get it, right? Whereas if we, if our team needs Um, you know, I'm a basketball player. If if we need, um, to be able to inbound the ball better, you know, to go work on some certain plays and get some different options for the out of bounds play. If your team is gassed in the fourth quarter, you know, they need to get in better shape. So you know how to do wind sprints. If they need to be tougher on rebounds, you probably need to do some more rebounding drills. You might have to get them in the weight room. You know, the equation is easier. Whereas on the mental side, it's often ambiguous. Like what does mental toughness even mean? How do we get somebody to compete better? Um, And so I'm gonna talk about some very concrete things that you can do today, okay? This is how we break it down here at Positive Performance. And by the way, this is all in our Psychology of Competition certification course, which um, is about 300 bucks and it has worksheets and videos and it's a whole course that teaches you exactly how to implement this. Um, But I'm gonna go over some of it today. So the way that we teach it at positive performance, if I'm going in and working with a team or even with an individual athlete, say, all right, you want to compete better? Consistent routines lead to consistent results. If you don't have consistency in your approach to competition, you will never have consistent results, period. So how do we get consistent results or consistent routines? Three separate things. Pre-competition, all the routines that go into pre-competition, and I don't mean if you, you know, uh, tie your right shoe before your left, that's a ritual, nothing wrong with it, but it's not a mental preparation, pre-competition, during competition, and post-competition. Most people, if they focus on any of them at all, and that's, most people don't, is pre-competition. You know, they get their headphones on, maybe they do a little breathing, um, maybe they learn how to visualize we go deeper. Um, Most people then don't also think about how do we deal with the ups and downs in competition. I'll talk about that. Uh, If you're a podcast listener or follow us at all, most of the stuff isn't going to be new, but I think it's still important to listen to because a lot of this stuff is right in front of us that we could actually implement really quickly if we chose to take the time. Finally, the thing that most people miss is post-competition. Most people have no idea what to do post-competition besides just sort of move on. So, all right, let's talk about a couple things you can do for pre-competition. I think one of the main things is how do we talk about competition? How do we talk about pre-competition nerves? And how can we reframe it in a way that's healthier? So this is about bringing attention to the fact that most people experience some sort of pregame nerves and how we interpret that meaning do we think oh my god i shouldn't be nervous or do we think you know the best players in the world get nervous of course i'm nervous that's a good sign how we think about that physiological reaction determines how that physical re- physiological reaction affects us let me say that again how we react to our body's natural physical, physiological reaction, meaning, you know, butterflies, for example, affects how that physi- physiological reaction affects us. So, the way that we think about it is really important. So, in your team, talking about pregame nerves, talking about it being normal, talking about how we can actually help you compete better. In fact, if you Think about your best games, your best competitions. It is highly likely that you were not unnervous. (laughs) It is highly likely that you had some nerves. Okay, now, the second part of that is thinking about what has gone right in the past. So no matter what age you are coaching, obviously the longer someone has played, the more experience they have, but it is likely that, An athlete, especially if they are taking their sport seriously, really does understand what has worked for them in the past. Now, this is an ongoing exploration. But simply taking the time to think about what has worked in the past is quite helpful. Because you can also say, well, what didn't work? For example, if you weren't warmed up enough, if you didn't take the time to get a really good sweat, you probably weren't ready when the first whistle happened. Or maybe you do better when you don't talk to people or you're off your phone or, you know, you're, you're not tired. You know, you got enough sleep. So it sounds really Captain obvious. And I would say that a lot of the best tools are simply asking what has worked in the past. Thinking about, you can sit down with your team or a certain athlete, Thinking about your best performances in the past, what worked, what didn't. Again, this is all in our course. If you wanna take our course, they literally audit what has worked in the past. Then we talk about what needs to happen now. And we have a whole system where we talk about something called the inverted U theory. I won't go totally into that, only because it's really easier to understand with a diagram but essentially what it says is if, you, if your best game is a 10, how do we get you to a 10? And, it, and it's a graph, right? So you're, at a 1, you are you know, half asleep. And at a 10, you're running through a brick wall. How close to a 10 or close to a 1 do you need to be to play at your best? And again, just the simple act of being aware of that is really important. So let's say for me, I was like a seven or eight. Like I, I played my best when I was really hyped, but not too much. So understanding that means I then have an awareness when, and, and I have to ask myself in any kind of pregame, am I at the level I need to be? okay. To play my best regardless of the competition now see a lot of times we wait to see who we're playing against you know what's going on what the vibe is and just sort of let our hyped up level happen to us no no no, no. we decide ahead of time what it should be then if it's off if i'm too high or too low we teach tools on how to get to the right level things like getting a better physical warm up to burn off some cortisol and adrenaline, things like visualization, things like negative visualization, when to use that, when to use music, when to do breathing exercises. All these different things can help someone, help an athlete once they know what level they need to be at, if they are above or below that, having tools with which to change it so that they don't start the game and say, "God." Let's see how this goes. I'm super nervous, or I'm totally more relaxed than I should be, but here it goes. They actually have tools in their toolbox and the awareness of when to use them and which to use. Okay. So that's really, really important. So, again, pregame, how we think about nervous energy, butterflies, for example, really important. What has worked and not worked in the past? Do we know where we need to be from a hyped up level? And if we are not there, we're too high or too low, do we have the tools with which to alter our mind state before the game starts, okay? So that's all pregame. It sounds, I don't know what it sounds like. Does it sound like a lot? Does it sound like a little? A lot of these things are simple to implement though. So, you know, the tools as far as like what, you want to do to get yourself more amped and, or more relaxed, um, they're not complicated. They're things that are pretty basic to mental training. A lot of the work is just doing it, doing it ahead of time. So much of our mental approach to, to competition or to performance in general is very reactive, right? We wait till game day to try to figure out how we're going to be. So- that's pregame, okay. So during game is equally important because we know that um, athletes are going to screw up, no matter what sport it is, and we teach something called the mistake or the reset ritual, okay. So that is a a little workshop that we have. We'll put it in the show notes so you can get that. I think it's I don't know, it's about thirty bucks or so that walks you through exactly how to implement it with your team, but. Again, this, these are not complicated tools. This is taking an hour and sitting down with your team or your specific athlete and saying, look, look, we know that at some point, you know, as a basketball player, at some point in the game, you're gonna miss a shot. You're gonna turn the ball over, you're gonna dribble the ball off your foot. We know that's gonna happen. We obviously don't want it to happen, but it's going to. What do we do in that moment? Because right now, most of you probably, most of your athletes. Probably just try to figure it out. Maybe they go on what I call the negative train. They start thinking all kinds of negative thoughts. Maybe they can't recover. Maybe you have to take them out of the game. Who knows? Um, But giving them something to hold on to in that moment that they have practiced. Again, not reactive because in that moment, it's too late. You can give them a pat on the back. You can tell them they got it. You can give them a high five. But if you don't have something that they can hold on to in that moment, like a mistake or reset ritual, it's really hard for words to sink in. So mistake ritual is really simple. They learn a reset word. They learn how to breathe in that moment. And they potentially do a hand signal depending on the the sport if they can. But the key with this is they practice it in practice, right? There's a million opportunities in practice to practice reacting positively to mistakes. And when we take what we need to do in practice and we execute it, sorry, what we need to do in games and we execute it in practice, we're getting those mental reps so that in the moment of fight or flight, we don't expect someone to learn some new tool. We don't expect them to act differently than they did the million times they've done it before. They're going to go back to whatever is comfortable. And we want to make a reset or mistake ritual comfortable for them. That is the thing they know to go back to in those moments. Okay. Okay. So we got pregame, we got during game, post game, post competition. Again, this is where a lot of people miss the opportunity. This is what most people do, most athletes at least. If things went well in the game, they give themselves a little pat on the back and they move on. They don't look at what they could have done better. They don't even look at what they did well. They just sort of move on. On the flip side, if things did not go well, <laughs> they often get emotional. So that means they feel bad or sad or mad at themselves, maybe at others, maybe at you. And it becomes this sort of cycle of blame that, again, prevents them from looking at what they didn't do well, honestly, and improving on it, looking at what they did do well and building on that. Either way, we're screwed, in other words. So... What my mentor taught me a long time ago is a process, and we have this in psychology of competition, and we have a whole worksheet that athletes fill out, but essentially it's this. This is the premise of that worksheet. It is critique your performance without criticizing. And that concept, that shift from, wah, wah, I played bad, I'm sad, or I played great, let's move on, is really Simple, but monumental. Let me tell you what that means. So when we critique our performance, we step away. We step away from judgment and blame and emotions, almost like we are someone else looking at our performance. If we criticize, we are in the emotions of it. And guess what that does? That makes us not want to look at ourselves. That makes it, that's like me watching film in my college career where I was like, I don't want to look at this. It's awful. I'm so mad at myself. What was I doing? You know, so critique, not criticize. When we stay in the critique mode, we are able to look objectively at what we did well and build on it and what we didn't do well and improve on it. The whole goal after competition shouldn't be to feel great or to feel bad. It should be to improve, right? Right. So giving them a process where they can critique themselves without criticizing. Now, (laughs) this is where it gets tricky. Ding, ding, ding. You have to do it first. And this is hard because we all want to criticize ourselves. We want to criticize what's working, what's not working. So practicing what you preach. I have it on my desk now talking about we have to live this stuff before we can teach it. We have to live it and teach it before we can sell it. (laughs) And so I remind myself, you have to live this. You have to also be there critiquing yourself, critiquing your team, critiquing without criticizing. So let's review. Pre-competition. We talked about reframing. We talked about the awareness of what's worked and what hasn't worked. We talked about the awareness in the moment of where you're, you're supposed to be and where you're at from a hyped up level and having the tools to get yourself mentally ready to relax yourself or get yourself more hyped as the case may be. So that's pre-competition. During competition, we talked about a mistake or reset ritual. And post-competition, we talked about critiquing versus criticizing. Guys, it's really not that complicated. You want better competitors. You need consistent routines. It needs to be done not on game day, not even close to on game day. It needs to be done ahead of time. Psychology of competition and mistake ritual magic are our two courses that cover these things. In psychology of competition, we also talk about the mistake ritual. So you don't have to get both of them. If you get the psychology of competition, you're going to get everything. Um, Mistake ritual magic is a little bit more in depth, but you don't need to have both. Um, But if you want to implement the stuff, you can do it on your own. You can do it with our courses, but do it. (laughs) I cannot tell you how simple. It does take some time, but they're not complicated tools. And they are built into so much of what you're already doing. For example, the mistake ritual, you practice it during practice. You build it into water breaks, in between drills. This isn't like you have to sit down into a classroom every single day for an hour and teach mental training. No, there's a little bit of upfront work where you're going to sit down, you're going to do a worksheet for an hour and talk about you know, um, where, how, how your athletes have competed in the past and what's worked and what hasn't worked. That's crucial information though. But once you do it, you get into these routines and then you just practice them again and again and again. And the post-competition worksheet, they do it. It's five or 10 minutes. It's just an exercise. It just becomes part of your team culture. Um, And it's a lot better and a lot more efficient and works a lot better than the reactive. There is so much wasted mental, psychological, emotional energy wasted on teams and athletics and athletes and coaches because we're reacting to the problems that we know we're going to have. You know your athletes are going to struggle with competition. You know they're going to struggle with failure. You know they're going to struggle after a loss or even after a win maybe if they didn't play well. So we know these things are going to happen, how we deal with them ahead of time is going to be much more efficient than waiting until the middle of the game, which doesn't really work anyway. And you, and we all know that, right? So Psychology of competition, it's an amazing course. Go get it. Either way, implement this stuff. It really, really works. If you like this episode, please share it with one of your coaching colleagues. Um, I just want everybody to implement pre, during, and post-competition routines. So share it with a coaching colleague. Come on over to Instagram. Let me know if you're implementing any of them. Um, I'd love to hear it. would love to get a conversation started. And that's all I got, guys. Hope. This was helpful and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Hey, if you loved this episode, make sure to check out all of our free and paid resources over at positiveperformancetrain.com. You want to take mindset training to the next level? We got you. But here are three more specific ways. If you want to take mindset training and live it more in your life, definitely subscribe to this podcast. We send out bonus episodes, we have our mental Mondays, we have interviews and training episodes, definitely subscribe. If you wanna teach it, meaning taking it to your athletes or your clients, I highly recommend Psychology of Competition. Again, you can check that out at positiveperformancetraining.com. It is a great course that will teach you and your athletes how to have pre, during, and post-competition routines to up your performance. And if you wanna learn how to have a mindset coaching business in order to sell mindset coaching, Highly recommend signing up for our waitlist for our next certification cohort, which usually opens about once a year. But in the meantime, go to positiveperformancetraining.com and check out our ultimate mindset coaching toolkit. Well, it will show you exactly how to get started with your first mindset coaching clients. Again, go to positiveperformancetraining.com for all of our free and paid resources.